0: like to uh, say hello to my son down in northern Florida and uh, hope that he's listening again. right, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 22, the parable of the marriage feast. Matthew chapter 22. I do not want to be lengthy here and uh, it's a place where we could get off anywhere and go anywhere with it, but it's a parable of the marriage feast. I want to be simple with it. We're going to look at the marriage feast again. Uh, on Wednesday nights, we're going to be looking in the book of Revelations, just briefly, in regards to the marriage feast and the invitation to the marriage feast. And you'll see that this has a lot to do with the book of Revelations. There's some direct quotes from this book and this portion of Scripture you'll see again in Revelations. Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, now, you know, there's about 35 parables in the Bible, approximately, because guys like to argue about parables. Is this a parable, or was that a parable? And it has to do a lot with the doctrine that the church professes that they attend. Uh, the Jehovah Witnesses like to call the story of Elijah getting taken up to heaven a parable. Of course, that's because they don't believe in hell, and the doctrine, as we touched on on Sunday school, doctrine is simply what you do and teach. Because you can be teaching the Word of God, and if you're not practicing it, you're not doctrinally sound, are you? You're a hypocrite, or, in which we all are to some degree. But you endeavor, hows that go? If your walk doesn't line up with your talk, then everything becomes squawk. So, doctrine is what you do and teach, the first word in doctrine is D-O. It's what you do. And that's your testimony. And the Bible says we can overcome Satan. I believe it's in Revelation. Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. What we do and teach. We can overcome Satan. Amen. So, here we have the story, the parable and a parable is simply a story used to illustrate a spiritual lesson by Jesus Christ. You know, Aesop's fables are cute little stories, but they're not parables. They're not really parables. You want to see a parable? Talk to Jesus. You want to understand a parable? Talk to Jesus. And he'll tell you when he's te- teaching you with a parable. He does in Scripture here. He taught in parables for a Uh, in his ministry for over a year, just almost exclusively in parables because of the people that were trying to trip him up in his word. Jesus answered and spake unto them again in parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. Now keep in mind, what's the marriage? What's the king? And who's the son? The king is God the Father. The son is Jesus Christ. And the marriage is salvation. That's what we can draw from this parable, and bear with me, and it should present itself. And set forth his servants. Who are his servants? Who, ha- who, who has submitted themselves to the will of God? That's a servant. Whether they be a deacon, an elder, a bishop, whatever you want, a pastor, uh, and I'm not going to say layperson, but a... Uh, any individual that submits himself to the will of God becomes His servant, and sent forth His servants to call them that were bidden. Bidden means simply to ask, and that word call we see in Matthew eleven twenty eight. We went over that last Sunday. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come on to me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The first word in that, in that promise is come on to. Me, first three words. Then there's a comma. And then it tells you he'll give you rest. Talks about taking the initiative to come to God. We have to come to him to receive rest, whether it's in prayer, whether it's reading his word, whether it's uh, uh, subjecting yourself to a Sunday school lesson. (laughs) I I love our Sunday school lessons. Call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. And they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, evangelists, pastors, people burdened, relatives that have been praying, saying, tell them which are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready, come on to the marriage. What he's saying is it's important, it's coming up, it's, it's close. You see, they didn't have refrigeration. They didn't just go butcher a couple of cows and then hang them up for four days to cure and then put them in the freezer and let it continue to cool down and then get them all processed and cut up. They didn't have time for that. They didn't have refrigeration. When they butchered those oxen, it was in anticipation for how many people were coming. Heaven's being prepared in in anticipation of how many people are coming right now. Look at your scripture, it'll say, behold, uh, I won't go there yet, but it, it says in scripture, Christ is preparing a place for you. He's interceding on your behalf. He's And the Holy Spirit's interceding on your behalf. You're being invited to the feast. The marriage feast, which we'll find in Revelations chapter 19, is where we'll go in another Sunday or so. But, This feast here is the one that we're experiencing right now. We'll find three marriage feasts figuratively in Scripture. This is the first of the three. But they made light of it and went their way to his farm, another to his merchandise. i got to work on Sunday. i got to put in crops on Sunday. I know one of the most successful wheat farmers in the state of Kansas, and Kansas produces over 80% of our nation's wheat and some 40% of the world's wheat. He doesn't plant anything on Sunday. And he's one of the biggest wheat farmers in the country. He's in church on Sunday. And the harvesters, when they come to his field to take it off, he tells them, you're not going to be cutting wheat on my place on Sunday. You can go to my heathen neighbor and cut wheat. (laughs) But I'm not going to pay you to cut my wheat until you come back around on Monday. And it better be after midnight. If you know anything about it, they cut wheat 24-7 when they start knocking down wheat. All right. They made light of it. I I get a vision right now of a gentleman that stood in front of me and said, heaven and earth are what you make here on earth. Ha, 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 ha. How many times have you had to make light of a testimony for Jesus Christ? They're insulting the servants right now. They're making light of it. Oh, it's, you're too serious, brother. You're too serious, sister. You're too serious. Get lightened up. We're having a party. You know, it's, We're all here. We're all having a good time. And you've got to talk about heaven and hell. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the raiment took his servants, that's what was left, and entreated them spitefully and slew them. You see here, they rejected God the Father. They rejected His message. They rejected His Son, Jesus Christ. And they also rejected the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 4.8, and it's Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus. That's how I remember it, way in the back. 1 Thessalonians 4.8 says... You reject the Holy Spirit, it says that no man can go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you of you, forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth despiseth not man. They're not rejecting you when you witness of Christ. They're rejecting the Holy Spirit. They're rejecting God. They're rejecting Jesus Christ. But God, whom hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. And go over, if you would, back to Mark. And this is the only time we're going to leave this. I believe it's the only time I'm leaving this page in Matthew 22. But let's go to Mark chapter 3. Mark, the next book over in the New Testament. Mark chapter 3. And it's Matthew, Mark, chapter 3. So we just got a couple of pages to go. Mark 3, 28. The Holy Spirit's peculiar. He doesn't only testify to us of salvation. He corrects us when we're right or wrong. He's our conscience. I heard a psychologist one time explain to me, he says, you Christians, all you do is develop your conscience. He couldn't give any credit to God. He was agnostic at best. He couldn't give any credit to God. He was all hung up on man, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And he took that to the extent that he uh, said, we develop our conscience. Yeah, my conscience is open to the Holy Spirit, and it saves me a lot of trouble. It saves me a lot of trouble. I remember the first time I stole a pickle, first time I stole in my life. I was about the size of one of these little shavers that are barefoot running around here maybe a little older, because I could walk over to the neighbors, and he had a wonderful garden, big pickle patch, and his son and I went out and picked the pickle out of the pickle patch, the cucumber, and then we started to eat him. And we both looked at each other, and he says, you know, my dad gets awful upset if we go out here and pick his pickles and tomatoes and stuff. So we ran under, and it hadn't rained for a little while, so we tipped over the rain barrel, and we both sat under that rain barrel eating the pickle. That's when I got introduced to sin. My conscience pricked me, and it said, you know you can't see much in a rain barrel when it's tipped over. (laughs) And we're sitting in there as dark as dark could be, and it kind of reminded me of hell. And then I got to thinking what I had heard, and I, hey, I'm on my way. I'm eating this pickle, and I don't have permission. That's what the Holy Spirit does in your life. And I've thanked the Holy Spirit for that time, and I'll thank him for each time. I, don't, I, can, I tell you what, I'm like everybody else. I can sin and not know it. And the Holy Spirit tells me when I'm sinning. And I thank Him for that. Thank you, dear Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life. And by His strength and your strength and your grace, I shall try to not sin any longer. And sometimes I get victory over it, sometimes I go ahead and call people bald anyway. Ah, uh, the verse we're looking for is I had a good time. Mark 3:28 and 29. Mark chapter 3:28 and 29. The servants getting rejected. 3:28 and 29. It says, "Verily I say unto you all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men and blasphemies whatsoever They shall be blasphemed. Now the sons of men, we're looking at Samson, you know, and we're talking about the sons of God and the sons of men, children of God and the children of men. So where does this take you here? This is the unsaved he's talking about right now. I don't want you to confuse it always with yourself, if in fact you're saved. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men and blasphemes. Where, Where? soever they shall blaspheme, blasphemy is saying falsehoods about, especially about God. One of the biggest falsehoods you can say about God is, "I'm saved," and present yourself as a product of the King, as a child of the King, and you're not. That's one of the. And here we're going to look at it. Verily I say unto you, all sin shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies where. With so they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. You certainly are. When you deny Christ, he says, He who denies me before men, him also shall I deny before my Father which is in heaven. When you say you're a Christian and you're really in your heart, you're don't know you're a Christian or don't know for sure, or you just want to get the preacher off your back or Aunt Carl from, from spending too much of his time talking to you and you just feel a little uncomfortable, or maybe you're at work and you want that Holy Roller kind of guy that, that, or that Holy Roller kind of girl just to leave you alone. Yeah, I'm saved. Get out of here. That's when you deny the Holy Spirit the most and that's what he's talking about here you're in danger of damnation you're in danger of hell, you're really on your way you're getting the whole crowd pretty mad at you ok that's the garment, I could never understand when I read this what, why such a penalty for that? we'll get there and we'll close it, that's the most, that's the heart of it, but when the king heard thereof, let's go back to Matthew chapter 22 verse 7 and we're going to finish that up We've got about 14 verses, and, or less than 14. We're halfway through 14 verses, and we'll conclude this. But I wanted to bring it down to earth, because all of us like to think, man, if, we're, if you look at it in one sense, well, I'm going to the wedding. Why would he get so mad at me? He couldn't get anybody else to come. I showed up. Preacher's been begging me to come to church. I showed up. I should be getting rewards now. I'm on my way to heaven, ain't I? That's... Wrong English, but it's true. Ain't I on my way to heaven? Are not. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and sent forth his armies, and destroyed the murderers, and burned up their city. Judgment by fire, the end of this planet. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which are bidden were not worthy. They made excuses. They had their own thing. They wanted to go to merchandise. They were busy making money. Go ye therefore onto the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid them to the marriage. Two little girls that were here this week. Their dad is Wild Bill. Enough said? Their dad, their grandfather. And he's a nice man. He's a mountain man plus. But he's a long ways from attending church. So these servants went out into the highways and gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good. Brother Fred, that's why I'm here today. (laughs) I fall into this category. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, He saw there was a man which had not a wedding garment. Oh, wow. What's a wedding garment? Well, you don't have to go very far into Revelations chapter 3, and you'll find out that you'll be clothed in white raiment. When Jesus Christ, when you die, and that man right now is wearing a white robe in front of his maker right now. I'll guarantee you that because my Bible says so. Over seven times in the book of Revelations alone, it talks about... Wearing a white garment, you'll be clothed in a white garment if you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior. It's true. Are you wearing a white garment this morning? Is there one waiting for you with your name on it, hanging up there, that new name written in glory? You can take this anywhere as an illustration, couldn't you? But you have a white garment waiting for you. And when that man, no matter if he, no matter any man dies who knows Christ, if he's robbing a bank, Or she's driving the getaway car. If they've accepted Christ, truly accepted Christ, as their personal Savior, there's a garment hanging there. He's going to wash you and cleanse you, make you whiter than snow, forgive you. That's grace. That's that thing we all like to uh, get, but we never like to give much of it. It's a little bit like money and gold, you know, we like, you get miners, everybody likes that gold, nobody likes to give it away. But, the wedding feast, he shows up, he comes there at the wedding, and when the king came to see the guest, he saw that there was a man which had not a wedding garment. He didn't have that white robe. He didn't have that garment. That's why it gets so severe on him. And he saith unto him, Friend, how comest thou in heather not having a wedding garment? Notice he addresses him, and in your King James Bible, there's a comma and the capital friend. Now, since when did friend, you know, was a person, place, or thing in my Bible or my English upbringing? And it wasn't a period there. It's a comma and it's a capital friend. It's obvious he's not a brother. He's not a son of the king. He didn't have a wedding garment. He didn't meet the only requirement. And do you know that if you study, I was going to take my glasses off, there in my hand. Uh, if you study scripture and you know anything about the Hebrew culture, and this time it's Jewish culture now, we're in the New Testament, when you have a wedding, who, who foots the bill? Even today in our culture, who foots the bill? Right. Yeah, the old man. <laughs> foots the bill. That's why I had all, all boys, right? No, we had a boy and a girl. Yeah, yeah we do have a girl. We've got to keep that right. But that's why I wished I had all boys. It was You're going to foot the bill. You're going to foot the bill. The king there, he was footing the bill for the wedding garment. He was. When you come to that wedding feast, you showed up there, they'd have fancy garments. Or when they invited you, they came, and there's portions of Scripture you can read about. guy comes to the door, you're invited to the king's wedding, and he drops the garments right there for you. You get dressed up and go. Jesus Christ presented you, everyone in this room, I'm going to take that far, that can comprehend it. He's got garments right here for you right now. He does. Are you going to show up at the wedding dressed in those garments? Or are you going to do your own thing and do it my way? You know, We talked about Elvis Presley a little earlier. I did with a friend of mine, four services. One of the songs I remember him singing, and he was saved, I know a man who witnessed to him. And Elvis Presley had accepted Christ as his personal Savior. It's hard to believe, but it isn't if you know his background. And one of the songs he sang that rings so well in my life is, I Did It My Way. Frank Sinatra coined it. Willie Nelson, I think, wrote it. Uh, Elvis Presley sang it. And I did it my way. Are you doing it your way? That's what this guy was doing. He was going to the feast. He, was, he knew about it. He'd been invited. He, he evidently had some other things he wanted to tend to before or after, so he didn't wear the garments. I'll get saved later. I'll talk about Jesus later. Let me get to the point in my life where I'm not worried about where I'm making my money, and I won't fall under conviction for how I got it, and I'll, I'll go to church and talk to me about Jesus then. But when I get married, I'm going to get right with Jesus. I'm going to talk to Jesus then. I'm going to accept him then. I'll wear the feast, the wedding garment. I know the story. And he was speechless. God doesn't have anything to say to you. Once you once you stand before him at the judgment seat, he's going to ask you one question. I don't know the exact words. He's not going to ask you if you're Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Pentecostal, whatever... He's just going to ask you what you did with his son. That's all. The rest is going to be self-explanatory. His word is very clear. If you're not wearing the garment of salvation, you're not going to get to heaven. And that's exactly what happens here. That's this man right here. He says, He says, Then said the king to the servants, Bind him and in this this case i believe the servants i hadn't looked it up in what we'd like to call the original language but servants too uh, are angels and i think in this point he's asking the angels i don't think we'll have privilege we will take that kind of vengeance cuz some of those people will be well on deserving of heaven bind him and bind him hand and foot and that's where we know hell's not going to be a comfortable place you have got to be tied up to be thrown in it Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into bitter darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where did you hear this before? Weeping and gnashing of teeth? For many are called, but few are chosen. That's the plan of salvation right there. It's echoed all through your Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. Book of Revelations, the prophetic books of Bible. You can find it again in Daniel. What? Garment are you wearing? Let's all stand. We've got a lot of things to look forward to today. We've had some dark things happen today. Uh, Fifty feet across the street, someone went on to see their maker. I want to have a sign put above that exit. You're now entering the mission field. That's the mission. we got a nice one here, preaching Christ is man's only hope. We'll echo that through our, our uh, different ministries. But this one message will be to each one of us. You're entering the mission field when you step out that door. You don't have to go very far to find someone that needs God's word, do you? They need God's word across the street right now. If you want, drop them a card. Stop in and visit. But a preacher, I got such a busy life. I just barely made it to church. I got all kinds of things. Okay, doesn't take too long to pray. need to pray for him. I asked these men in red. They don't know. They don't know. Them from anybody else? Men in red. Car- cardinals. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to ask these guys to pray for them. They have their devotions in the morning. or They get together before they go to work. At Brother Grammers, I'm going to ask them to put in a little word for the neighbor to the church here. They go back home, I'm going to ask them to pray for the family of the church here. What else can you ask for? What else can you do? but we can pray for them. I told the the bride of that man that died, I says, I can't pray for him, but we can pray for you. And so let's pray that they get stronger from this, that uh, they get to the wedding feast, every one of them. And you know someone else. Maybe they're close to eternity, maybe they're not. Maybe you're the one that's not putting on the robe, that you're putting it off, the invitation. You know what God wants you to do in your life and you don't want to square it away. I'm not saying he wants you to uh, throw down everything and run off to eternity. Like brother uh, said in Sunday school class, he just wants you to work with him. What are you resisting God about this week? What are you fighting with him over? What's the challenge in your life? Talk to the king. Go to the son. They got to they got the garment waiting for you. It's hanging right there. It'd be the first thing you're going to see one day. Might not have any trim on it <laughs> when you get there. At least I'm hoping mine has some trim on it. <laughs> Mrs. Ani, Mrs. Anania, start playing. See what God has for you this week. If it's just to extend a, na- a hand to a stranger if it might be something as big as getting right with him over an issue in your life. But don't be caught without a garment. The first thing you need to settle is salvation. And that's the first thing we need to help others settle. Most important thing in this world, it's not what you do because we can't do much. It's what Christ did for you.